Now this morning I will read from the New Testament, the book of Acts, and our passages today, Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. So follow with me this powerful, powerful passage. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to bed from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked Peter and John for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And he said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man, as that same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder. And they were filled with amazement at what had happened to him. Let us pray. Father, in this moment, in this quiet moment, in the midst of a, a very loud world, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, through this man who jumped, and through these men who were filled with the Holy Spirit and obeyed you and moved, and moved on to do your will and to love you. And they moved out in power, Lord. And we thank you and we ask that you would help us today to walk away with that power. Because of you, because of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Allow me to get my, my notes and, and look at them. But our church will now walk through. It's been walking through the book of Acts. Right for the last couple weeks started with Jordan. Jordan talked about how Luke and Acts, the two books, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, they're one book. And so it's so interesting to see a man like Luke, um, a physician, so careful with his words. His words are not throwaway words. All of them mean something. So take that into consideration as we, as we hear these words. And as our church family studies through the book of Acts together, we come this weekend to the first recorded healing after Pentecost. There was a healing. There was a miracle. So right away, come out of the gates. Men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, come out. We see Peter, who was this man who uh, previously had been afraid to tell a little slave girl who he was and who he was there with. He was afraid to tell a little slave girl. Uh, and he denied Jesus three times. But now the next time we see him, all of a sudden, look at Peter after the Pentecost. This amazing, this, this man who was afraid of the smallest person who couldn't even do anything to him. 
all of a sudden is so filled with the Spirit, he stands up before everybody in Jerusalem and tells them about the man that they had slain was the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is filled with a power, an incredible power, incredible passion that we must have. How could we not have this? So let's talk about that. We come after Pentecost and we see a man who had been crippled all of his life, the text says. 40 years, 40 plus years. He had been crippled all of his life. All of the regulars, the temple regulars, had been seeing him all their life. Just imagine yourself in that position. Think of the utter, I guess you would have to say hopelessness that they probably had as they walked every day and saw these cripples. And he, they put him in front of this gate called Beautiful. And I, just to give you a little bit of context, Josephus, the historian of that age, of that time, he said that that gate was called Beautiful because it stood out among all the other gates. It was better than any gate that was just covered with gold or silver. It was made out of a bronze and it just glistened and it stood out amongst every gate. And just think of the contrast. The crippled man, crippled all of his life in front of that beautiful gate. He would have made a great contrast. He would have put himself in a good place for people to see him. Because they wouldn't be, they'd be able to see such a, a sad contrast between this broken man and this beautiful gate. So I want us to see some of that context. But more importantly, we see that this man was commanded in Jesus' name to walk, and the result is more than just walking, which that alone is enough to make anybody be amazed. But he got up, and he praised God, and he had real joy. He must not have even known what had happened to him, and then all of a sudden, just imagine him walking one foot in front of the other, first time in his life. Just imagine that power. Imagine that joy. Put yourself there. I can't. I, I, it's beautiful to think about it. And you start with the word, the, the three words. Look at us. Look at us. That's the first statement that I see Peter and John say. Peter and John first fixed their gaze on the man. And then they asked the beggar to look at them in the eye. Okay, whatever, big deal. Why did they do that? I, I did kind of, that was like, why would you do that? But I think there's a lot if we really let the scriptures and let the passage sink in. There's a lot to them saying, look at me. Look at me. Yeah, it's a big deal. Panhandlers who look people in the eye too long, if you think about it, I've seen it. They're often yelled at or mistreated. They get yelled at. I've seen it. It's sad. They get mistreated. It makes us uncomfortable. Maybe even it's creepy. And we typically avoid eye contact with beggars, don't we? It's easier that way. We don't have to think much about their plight then. We can excuse our lack of compassion with platitudes about them being a drunk or wasting their money on drugs. And maybe this beggars, you know, maybe these people do that. That's a real thing. But we won't ever know that, will we? We won't ever know that about them. Unless we get involved enough with them on a human level. 
To look someone in the eye reminds us that we're staring into the image of God. We were all made in the image of God. When we look one in the eye, now finally we got to say, you're a human. You're just like me. Peter and John, they wanted that interaction. They wanted it. They asked for it. And they treated the beggar as a divine image bearer. One can only imagine how many times they had watched their Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus do the exact same thing. When he moved among the people, outcasts, the prostitutes, the sinners, the, the tax publicans. How many times have they watched their, their Lord do that? So let's think about that. Let's think about that. I want to talk about three things that come out of this passage. Three things. The first thing is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, this is right after they had all been filled with the Spirit. So now what, what does that mean? Well, it means these three things I see in this passage. The power of the Holy Spirit allows us to be seen as people who are worth saving. Listen to me as I explain that. This man had been lame since birth, according to the understanding of the laws of nature at that time. This man's inability to walk since birth was attributed to the sin of his parents or his grandparents, some previous family member who had sinned. That's the way that people sort of understood those days and these, these uh, ailments. According to their understanding of such a disability, his inability to walk had nothing to do with genetic disease or muscular ailment. In fact, it had to do, his, his position with God was a punishment from God because of past generations' sins. To treat this man's condition as the appropriate result of sin was the way, was the acceptable thing in that community. They knew nothing different. So when people walked past him on their way to the temple to pray, to seek forgiveness for their own sins, to give alms or, or money or just things to God, their sacrifices, many felt that they owed this man nothing because his condition was the re result of unfaithful living. Man, that's what, we, that's what we do all the time. The people who are lesser, or who are begging on the side. We see them all the time in Fayetteville. I know you see it just like I do. And we tell ourselves all kinds of stories and reasons why we don't need to really talk to them. But the disciples, they were now filled with the Holy Spirit. And they saw more than a man who had no hope for life. Filled with the power of the Spirit, which allows us to see others as more than just broken people which gives us the ability to exemplify the love of God as seen in Christ. The disciples make eye contact with the man. They make eye contact with him. They make eye contact with somebody who's different than them. And I want us to hear that today in our, in our time. In that act alone, they have filled him with self-worth. He is worth seeing. That man or woman is worth knowing. The, spout, the power of the Spirit gifts us, like it did this man laying from birth, with the, with the ability to be seen as people. To be seen as people who are worth saving. Just as the power of, of the Spirit gifts us, like it did Peter and John, 
with the ability to see other people as worthy of being saved. So in other words, we see people now and we know that they are worthy to be saved, just like us, but no different. And now that person, when you look them in the eye, when somebody who's filled with the Spirit looks them in the eye, they can know I'm worthy. I am worth saving. I am loved by God. I, I can be loved by God. That's all it takes sometimes for somebody to, to hear that and feel that in their hearts. We cannot let our limited understanding of knowing why people are the way they are, socially, economically, mentally, we cannot allow our limited understanding keep us from ensuring that all persons are treated as persons whom God our Lord has called to him as people worthy of being saved. Everybody, everywhere, worthy of being saved. And now, and worthy of being loved, the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to be seen as people who are worth saving. That makes me think of the next words. There's only really two sentences that Peter and John spoke. The next sentence really was, I do not possess silver and gold. When he asked, when the beggar asked them for money, Peter said something awesome. I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. The power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to change people's lives. There have been numerous books written in the past few years around the failure of charitable giving to make real and lasting impact in the lives of others. Books like Toxic Charity and When Helping Hurts claim that financial handouts can be the worst form of support for nonprofits and churches to offer. Just purely transactional love, if you will. Just here, here's some money, deal with your, your situation. These books kind of get into the, 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 the meat of why that, that isn't always a very sustainable thing for people. And the foundation of this complaint is rooted both in the reality from the perspective of the recipient, who while receiving financial support may be able to have food for the night, but they still have no ability to claim long-term housing. And from the perspective of the giver, who wonders how a few bucks is going to help a person to get back on a more sustainable path of living. So both people aren't really aren't really making a, a, a huge difference. Now again, God can use anything. I'm not trying to tell you, you can't give a buck. What I'm trying to get at is, are you really walking with that person? Are you, really, are you really willing to dare to be different? Are you really willing to dare to know that person? Whoever they may be, that person who looks different than you. You know, I, I, it makes me think of a, a passage, an old story, really, about St. Thomas Aquinas. And let me read it to you. It's just a brief story. It makes me think of a story about St. Thomas Aquinas, and I want you and I to listen. A historian reported that the venerable theologian Thomas Aquinas, who once visited Pope Innocent II at his palace in Rome, and that should stun you a little bit, honestly, Pope's palace in Rome. Aquinas was actually stunned himself by all the opulence that he was looking at. 
The Pope was counting out a rather large amount of gold coins, and he turned to Aquinas, and he said, You see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, Silver and gold have I none. And Thomas also said, in reply, you see, sir, the church can no longer say. He also he solemnly replied, the church the church can also no longer say. Neither. <laughs> Sorry, I, I messed that up. But listen, he says, true, holy father. Neither can she now say, rise and walk. Because if we get so focused on money. And transactional love. I mean, St. Thomas Aquinas said it so well, I can't say it any better. The church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. But often today, we can no longer say, rise and walk. Because our faith is one of a halfway faith. It says, I believe in all of the orthodox teachings. But I don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to change. But that's the difference between John and Peter in the early church. They believed in that moment. They believed in that moment. <laughs> and in that day, that God is able to do anything exceedingly above and beyond. Before I came up here, my senior pastor prayed for me and said, and reminded me of, God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond what we ask or think. Do we really believe that? Do we, are we more happy to just stay in our comfortable home, in our comfortable unit, where everybody's doing great things? Few people here and there, but basically everybody's doing great things. Or are we trusting in God enough, the Holy Spirit and his power, and, and really Jesus' power, his name, we trust in it enough to go out and make a difference? I ask us that. I ask myself that. So let me ask you to hear this. Temporary, modest financial gain and charitable handouts are not what the community of faith is really about. The man in the story doesn't just get up and walk away. He leaps about, praising God because the change that has happened is an impressive change of his life projection. Did he do that because of money? No. He did it because of the name of Jesus Christ. He did it because of the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The disciples gifted with the power of the Spirit are not simply offering kind words of hope. We're not just going out and offering kind words of hope. Those are good. They aren't proclaiming platitudes of optimism. They're offering true healing rooted in the love of God. And that only happens when we look at someone in the eye and say, let me, let me give you what I have. Let me listen to what you have. Let me hear you. Let me acknowledge you. That brings me to the third thing that I, I see in this passage. The power of the Holy Spirit leads us to be faithful witnesses. Faithful witnesses and, and good storytellers. But remember, not storytellers about just purely our lives because our story now is his story. We are faithful witnesses. I grew up 
in Madison, Wisconsin, on the east side of Madison, Wisconsin, for all those who will be watching. Uh, Jordan kind of inspired me to talk about my city and my home. I love my home very much. I'm from the east side of Madison, a very urban area, actually. I know you don't think of that when you think of Wisconsin, but that's what I grew up with. So, as you know, Wisconsin is a very wintry place, though. And in the winter seasons, we get tons of snow and frigid weather, just like you would imagine. And then it was followed by what we call as the non-frigid season. Notice I didn't say the, the warm season. It wasn't necessarily warm. It just was not frozen anymore, right? So the non-frigid season we call the summer. Well, because of the lack of ability to get outside as much in those wintry conditions, once the weather got a little bit warmer, about July, basically, you can pretty much plan on spending the night huddled around a fire at a camping spot in my family. Because we've been locked up in the city, in the house, we're always, we, we haven't been out, we wanna get out. We're, we're outdoorsmen in my family and women. And so we would gather around the fire with my dad or my grandfather. We would go to the Mississippi River where my family is from Prairie Sheen, Wisconsin, and McGregor, Iowa, and we would, do, we would just camp and fish and hunt and duck hunt and do all this crazy thing. But my favorite part, all these crazy things, but my favorite part was sitting around the fire. And I want so badly to teach my children about that. We're just, we're not there yet. We're not there. They're not, they don't love camping like I do. They will, believe me, they will. And they would tell stories in that and that around that fire and those stories I can remember them all I can sit here and regale you with all of them but they were beautiful and wonderful and anything that I have is from them right is from listening to dudes like that and ladies like that and leaders like that just listening to them can you remember a time that you sat around the fire maybe at a summer camp or a family camping trip like I'm talking about and you heard the stories of your parents or an older cousin or a grandpa the stories I always think about when I think of children is the stories that I like to overtell to my children. Just tell them all the time and it's an easy go-to story. The kind of story that the kids get all wound up, scared of the dragon at the castle, or a monster in the closet, or the claw, or whatever, right? You know what I'm talking about. And the one that inevitably ends with you taking your hands out in the claw, right? And, and diving in and provoking your children to, you know, just pure joy and entertainment and glee. And shouts. Storytelling is a powerful art. Stories carry with them the power to move someone from a dark place of mistrust, which we currently are in. Church, there's a lot of people who are in a dark place of mistrust. But a story can take somebody from that dark place to a haven of hopeful promise. Think about that. And it is the gift to be storytellers that we are filled with in the gifting and receiving of the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. He teaches us to tell our story, which is now his story. The Spirit empowers us to be witnesses to the love of God in our lives and in the lives of others. The Spirit brings us alive to God's presence in our own lives. You know, there was a time in my life when I was in my teenage years, I forgot about all those stories. And I forgot about the beautiful places with my family. And I became a rebel. And I 
lost everything. You know, but when the Holy Spirit came into my life in a prison cell, guess what? I started to remember who I was. I started to remember what God was doing. And then I was a part of a bigger story. And then I was part of his story. That's what the Holy Spirit shows us. You know, the sermon of Peter made an impact on the lives of 3,000 people in one day because he told them the story of how people's lives were being changed and of how their lives could be changed. The people at the temple were filled with wonder. Remember, they were filled with wonder. Read that passage. Just let it sink in. They were filled. They had been looking. They were regulars at that temple. They had been looking and watching for years for anything good to happen. And when something good happened, it made them change. It changed something in them. Brothers and sisters, you have that ability now that you have the Holy Spirit. You can say, he is powerful. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives in my heart. He lives within my heart. He changed Adam Tipperley. He changed Sujun Chang. He changed Andrew Ames. He changed their families. Go out. Tell people who don't look like you. I want to look at you. I want to know you. Because I want you to know the power of our God is capable of changing everybody. Anything, anything, nothing can overcome him. The people at the temple were filled with wonder because this man was a living story. He was leaping around and praising God and his story as one who had gone from brokenness to true healing was profoundly impactful to all who watched. And this is the story of Pentecost, receiving the gift of the Spirit. In our telling the story, in our claiming how God has healed our lives, how he how we have been transformed because somewhere, someone in our past was brave enough to look us in the eyes and tell us about Jesus. Don't you know that's what it's all about? That's the good news. He, somebody once upon a time looked me in my eyes and said, you don't have to earn God's love. He already loves you. He died for you, Adam. He died for you, Barry. His love is costly. But he did it willingly and absolutely beautifully. Yes, someone somewhere in our past took the time to look us in the eye, to see us as worthy of being healed, that we as empowered to be healers of others can bring the saving grace of God because of Christ. We can heal others. And it's obviously... This is, a, this is sort of parabolic. We heal, we can heal them and see them heal spiritually first. But there can be physical healing too. So let the Spirit go as He will. And we're empowered to be healers of others. We can help bring the saving grace of God to be tangibly known in the lives of the world by telling our story. So don't ever forget. My dad, the day I left for chaplain school, he said, don't be afraid to tell your story. Mm. Man, that's beautiful. I won't cry. I won't care. That's right. Tell your story. Because it's his story. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not offered so that we may celebrate life for ourselves. But so that we may share with others the love of God 
that all may have life. It's about embracing a new community in which all persons are seen as the children of God, invited to find healing and new life. And this is why we are filled with the Spirit, to know God, to love him more. And through that love and out of that love of Jesus comes such joy and wonder and faith that we can't keep quiet. Or inactive. Hear that. We can't keep quiet or inactive. We must share our story of his power and his love to heal with all people. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of this man, for the amazing story of just of your Holy Spirit working and let us be open to however you will speak to us through this message today that we would just go out and look people in the eye, that we would share our joy. This is a joy that's unquenchable. People don't know my life. They don't know all the things. They don't know the life of a lot of my brothers and sisters here. It doesn't ultimately matter. What matters is your love. Our lives matter, but your love matters even more. And you are intimately involved, so let us go out and share that joy and share that hope that we have and ultimately that's all we have we don't have silver or gold necessarily but we have this amazing amazing jesus coming through in jesus name father amen